Welcome to Exponential Investor Podcast. I am your solo host, Shay Russell. Sam is not with me today, which as you know, when Sam is not with me, I see it as a perfect opportunity to talk commodities. Now, uh, this week for everybody, it sounds like I, uh, if you've been reading Exponential Investor newsletter that I write, you might um, have think that I have forgotten about commodities, but that is actually not the case because I have been writing about inflation this week and I am going to be writing about it into next week because uh, the causes of the current inflation in the UK are a complicated beast and can't just be summed up in one newsletter or one podcast. Now, uh, for those of you who did catch what I wrote on Thursday, I basically said that perhaps the Bank of England isn't to completely blame for the current cost of living crisis in the UK. Now, undoubtedly, uh, they have made some absolute foul ups and they should have raised rates far sooner than they did. They are responsible um, for those things. They kept money too cheap for too long and allowed the misallocation of investment. The problem is they are not entirely to blame for the cost of living crisis. Now, two of the biggest components to the CPI in the UK are food and energy costs. Now, recently I read, I think it was this week I read that this time next year, uh, the average person's energy bill in the UK will have increased by 80%. Um, now that is a an incredible and unfathomable amount of coming out of people's uh, bank accounts each week to pay just to you know keep the lights on. Uh, in fact, there's actually been a couple of uh, polls done recently to suggest that people are unlikely to be running heaters during winter uh, because the cost of uh, energy is just too high. But this is what I mean by it's not necessarily the Bank of England's fault because a lot of the huge drivers that are pushing up the cost of energy and that are pushing up the cost of food have absolutely nothing to do with the Bank of England and no amount of raising rates is going to help them rein in inflation. I've made some notes today, so I actually stay on track. Now, there's a couple of things I want to go over first and foremost. Uh, I believe the Bank of England is predicting that inflation is going to reach 13% in October. Now, I highly doubt it will be 13%. I suspect it will be far higher than that. Also, too, I wouldn't put much weight in their forecast either, simply because they've revised it three times this year. Uh, In March, they said it was going to be uh, 8% annually. In May, they changed their mind and said it was actually going to be 10%. And then they revised it again and said, come October, it's going to be 13%. Uh, I think we'll find that 13% is conservative once again. And by Christmas, we'll have a closer idea of the real numbers. So what I do want to touch on is something I wrote back in Exponential Investor on the 9th of August. Now, I wasn't clever enough to actually utter these words. They come from the brilliant Adrian Day. Uh, And he said at the Sprott, the Rural Investment Conference that I was at in Miami back in July, that commodity prices feed into producer prices, which feed into consumer prices. Can't even spit it out articulately. So that's how we know I didn't write it. Now, That is a very important point. One of the problems with blaming central banks for inflation is that when we see certain things reduce, we think inflation has gone away. And petrol is a great example of being um, direct, the the petrol price, the price you pay at the pump is directly, um, or it's quite reactive to the oil price. And the reason for that is from essentially well to pump, so, you know, getting it out of the oil well and getting it to market and you putting in your car, is a two to four week time frame. So that is considerably quick for a commodity, whereas other assets or other commodities like copper, for example, it could be um, 
you know, 90 days to maybe even four months or five months before the copper that comes out of the ground and makes its way to market. So um, a copper input prices changing when it, they change significantly over the long term, you don't notice it for a few months later. But whereas when the oil price changes quickly, people feel that pain almost immediately. Um, so that's, that's sort of just because uh, oil has started, the price of oil has started to go down and people are starting to feel that relief at the pump doesn't mean these energy pressures have gone away. Uh, as you well know, living over in the UK, um, you know, the, the high energy costs that you're paying now are a direct result of uh, Russia marching across the Ukraine and tight and forcing many people across the EU, many countries across the EU to um, seek energy elsewhere. So the cost of coal, the cost of oil and the cost of gas is not going to go down no matter how much the Bank of England jack interest rates up. It is just not going to change it. More to the point, the longer uh, the EU and the UK are forced to look elsewhere for energy supplies, the longer those cost pressures are going to be felt at the consumer end. Because I can guarantee you companies are not wearing these increased costs. They are absolutely passing these down the supply chain. Now, um, something that may change, um, its look, it's not going to have an immediate impact, but it's certainly noteworthy, uh, is that I believe the person favoured to become the incoming Prime Minister, Liz Truss, hopefully I'm pronouncing her name correctly with my very Australian accent, uh, is favoured to take over from former Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Now, she seems to be quite friendly to the oil and gas sector. Uh, she's a bit of a fan of hydrocarbons and she understands their role that they play immediately in the UK. And word has it in the papers that if she does come in, she's likely to fast track permits uh, and so ex exploration permits and even production permits for oil and gas wells out in the North Sea. Uh, so for anybody interested in energy stocks, I would say that's quite a, a bullish sign that uh, if you haven't been looking at energy stocks, perhaps you should go looking at energy stocks, particularly ones in the North Sea. There might be some surprising permits uh, coming through, which would be great news. But just because we're going to, oh, well, the people in the UK are going to see increased exploration or perhaps increased exploration in the North Sea doesn't immediately mean the cost of living pressures are, pressures are going to ease. Uh, it will take it takes a significantly long time for any find to become an active well, let alone get down to the pump. So any benefit from exploration in the North Sea is a, a good couple of years away from helping the consumer out. Uh, however, the immediate pressure that consumers are going to face is persistently high and pr persistent and prolonged high food prices. Um, the grain prices aren't going down anytime soon. And the problem is we, when we think of grain, we think of just wheat, but the, the basket called cereals basically, which is uh, wheat, rice, oat and barley and et cetera, that they sort of make up the, the grains that we consume. And they're, they're in a lot of our prepackaged food. They're also in a lot of animal feed. These are key components in animal feed. So whether you're eating them yourself, you are, or if you, if you are a meat eater, our animals are eating them. So they need that food stock. Now these price pressures on grain aren't going away. I've got a note here that says the Ukraine supplies the E2 with 50, uh, sorry, the EU alone with 52% of all of its cereal needs. Uh, and I've written before in Exponential Podcast, uh, Exponential Investor, um, how the EU rely, uh, sorry, the UK relies on food imports from the EU. So a lot of things, a lot of the key ingredients come from the EU and make their way over to 
UK, but also to a lot of foodies packaged and uh, processed and packaged in the EU and making their way over to the UK. So no matter what, if the EU is getting a um, restricted supply of grain from the Ukraine, that has flow on effects into people in the UK. But the problem doesn't end there. Uh, In fact, in a little bit of a bearish podcast today, um, I don't think the agricultural woes are going to go away anytime soon. Now, let me just flick on my fancy notepad to get up to my notes so I don't lose track. Now, there has been some good news in the grain sector. So uh, earlier in August, the there was a UN, um, there was basically a treaty signed between the Ukraine, uh, Russia and Turkey. I'm quite sure why Turkey's involved, didn't push too hard on that button. Uh, and the UN to export around 20 to 20 mil, uh, 20 to 22 million tonnes of grain out through the Black Sea to get it to its original destination. Now, this is great news for countries that are being starved of of UK grain, so it is really important to see it get through. But there's a couple of problems that I don't think um, we've really thought through yet. For starters, that grain's now been sitting in port silos for up to six months. There is a chance that by the time it gets to its destination, it's no longer fit for human consumption. Furthermore, there's a chance that it's not even fit for animal consumption. So that there is a huge risk that the 20 million tonnes of grain that have just been shipped out of the Black Sea, that's been negotiated for very heavily, is inedible and it's about to go to waste. Um, now, furthermore, grain has been getting out of the Ukraine, but it's coming out of any farmland that is located in the West not the east. Now, the grain that is leaving the Ukraine at the moment uh, in the west is going via road or rail. Now, that is driving up costs because it's much more expensive uh, to ship it that way because you basically can't ship it in bulk. It's got to be done in smaller batches. So there is grain leaving the UK, but it is leaving the UK at a premium compared to this time last year. Now, um, there's two compounding problems here and I don't think investors have fully factored this in and what this means for food and food supplies. Um, This isn't to cause alarm for anything either, by the way. This is about making sure that you are prepared and you understand the environment that you are investing in so you can make better decisions. Now, the third problem uh, that I've got, oh no, actually I think I've got three more problems here. So let's let's go through them. Um, So the planting season, um, sorry, planting season, planting area. Up to a third of the Ukraine's wheat uh, planting area has been lost to the invasion. So we're now um, basically relying on two thirds of the planting area to feed the same amount of people that it was before. Now, the next point I would like to make to this is that the port bins need to be completely emptied in order to fill up next year's harvest. Now, normally this wouldn't be a problem because there's obviously those many months between um, the grain leaving the port uh, and the new grain coming in. We don't have this um, that this time. Uh, it's still going to take a considerable period of time, let's say a few months, to empty the grain that is in the UK, um, that is in you know ports by the Ukraine um, to get to its final destination. But w- they need to be emptied properly. They can't just be dumping new grain on top of old grain. They need to be actually emptied and cleared because it's been sitting there for so long. We don't want to risk, obviously. Um, any contamination. I'm not actually sure what the cross-contamination scenarios for grains. I might look into that and come back to you on the next one. But nonetheless, they need to be adequately emptied and cleaned out in time for the new harvest. So there is actually a risk that they won't be emptied in time. Um, but 
uh, my fifth or fourth reason, I'm not sure has anybody been keeping count for me today, is I think a much bigger problem. Now, the Ukraine planting season, they have two planting seasons. I'm referring to the one that started in July, just gone. Um, it's got underway. Now, this, the July, the, the crop that's planted in July is harvested around 22, 23. So it's sort of that crossover December period. Um, uh, McKinsey have a very disappointing outlook on this. They reckon up to 35, sorry, 35 to 45%, um, there will be a reduction in the harvest size by that much. Now that is a phenomenal amount of grain to not come to the market. So let me just say it again because I didn't say it very well the first time. Uh, McKinsey are estimating that up to uh, that the 22 to 23 crop that's coming up is going to be 35 to 45% lower than um, this time last year. Now that is a significant reduction in grain available for the economy and that is going to put uh, incredible pressure on grain prices. Uh, also too, when I was reading that report, it didn't really delve into fertilizer and how much fertilizer has been used. Um, so you've got to remember that fertilizer is absolutely critical to grow the type of crops that we do grow and that we need for our, um, you know, for our modern ecosystem. Uh, with fertilizer, fertilizer prices being through the roof, it, farmers have been increasingly reluctant to increase their spend on fertilizer. They've actually either been using the same amount of fer fertilizer last year and trying to stretch it further or they've been buying less and doing only in a smaller patch of land. So it could be that their estimate is actually conservative. Um, I actually hope not because it means not a good thing, believe it or not. But if you're an investor, it does present an opportunity for you. Um, unfortunately, we're not really going to know the size of the harvest until later in the year, but certainly keep your eyes on that. Now, this is an investor podcast, even though it has been a little bit doom and gloomy today. So the question for an investor is, what can you do? Now, firstly, I think there could be some good news coming for energy-related stocks, especially oil and gas located in the North Sea. If you do get Liz Truss as your new prime minister, um, she definitely appears to be quite friendly to the hydrocarbon space. So that look for opportunities out there. That doesn't mean that there's going to be any pressure taken off energy bills anytime soon as it's going to take a long time to bring on these new wells. However, um, oh, sorry, before I get to the however part of today's conversation, I think agriculture companies, companies that are at the primary end, so not so much the value add chain where you're talking about companies that are doing the processing and manufacturing of food, but companies that are at the primary part of the production phase, so literally the people who put it in the ground. I think they've looked for opportunities around this space. Uh, if the UK grain season, uh, if the UK, UK, the Ukraine planting season doesn't pan out, it is going to put pressure on supplies. Uh, so also to maybe look outside the Ukraine uh, look outside Europe, maybe look at companies uh, in America and South America, uh, because I do believe that South America, in particular Brazil, is going to have a bumper grain season this year. Won't necessarily offset the EU's grain problem, but it will be good for people who are invested in those companies. But to close out today's podcast, I'm going to leave you with an idea. Now, we are absolutely moving into times that it, none of us have experienced in living memory. We are going to be experiencing depression-like conditions with economic statistics that don't say that we're in depression-like conditions. They're saying that we might be in a little bit of a recession. Now, uh, if we look back to the 1920s and the 1930s, um, granted the data is not as, um, as deep as we have access to today, but one thing that certainly helped a lot of investors through during that period uh, 
uh, period was breaking their portfolio up into essentially four quarters. And that is one quarter in energy, one quarter in base metals, one quarter in agriculture, and one quarter in physical gold. Or, well, they only had physical gold back then. They didn't have fancy ETFs like we do. So that might be worth considering if you are trying to look for some sort of way to create a defensive uh, investment portfolio uh, because I don't think the news is getting any better, but I do think uh, investors should be prudent and look for ways to at least position themselves to be prepared to maybe take advantage of some uh, take advantage of some price pops in the commodity sector. Well, that is enough for me. I talked for far longer than I intended to. Uh, hopefully, Sam will be joining me next week, and I will have some adult supervision once again. To quote Sam, "That's all for today. Thanks for watching, and bye for now."